Well, how many of us are there here? How many of us know the gospel? I'm sure most of us would say we believe the gospel, but how many of us know the gospel? It's Well, actually, I feel a bit silly asking that question because how many collective years of church-going experience have we got in this building at the moment? It's quite a lot, isn't it? So we probably... And we're Presbyterians as well. We're gospel people. We know the gospel. Of course we know the gospel. But uh, in his book, Promoting the Gospel, John Dixon makes a good point. He says, gospel is one of those words that's so basic, so fundamental to Christian life, that it can be taken for granted. It can become the term for just about anything at all in the Christian faith. Gospel can become so full of meaning, the meaning I want to put into it, that it can be emptied of meaning altogether. Like the word love in popular music, gospel can mean anything and nothing at the same time. So do we know the gospel? Or do we just think we know the gospel? This term we are um, thinking about promoting the gospel. And, uh, well, what we need to do is work out what we mean by the word gospel. We have a message to promote, but uh, what is that message? If you had to sum up the gospel in a single sentence... Do you think you could do it? Think you could do it? I wonder what you'd what, what you'd need to put into that sentence. Shout out to me some things you'd need to put into that sentence. Let's put some ingredients together in a big bowl and mix it up and see what we get. What Jesus died for our sins. That's good. Put it in the bowl. What else do you want to put in? Jesus rose. God so loved the world. There's love. There's Jesus' death. Jesus' resurrection. This is good. What else do you want to put in there? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I love that. Let's put that in and mix it up. Yeah. What else? There's trust or faith. What was over here? Repentance, trust and repentance, love. This is, a, this is getting to be a long sentence, though, isn't it? <laughs> this is a long sentence. Oh, man. There, and there are a number of different gospel summaries in the New Testament as well, some very short, some a bit longer. But uh, uh, we're going to pick one this morning, and we're going to go digging for gold in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, uh, here's my summary, and it will be the, the outline as well. Here's my summary. The gospel is the good news that King Jesus brings people into his kingdom where he reigns in victory. And so that will be our outline. King Jesus, number two, brings people into his kingdom. Number three, where he reigns in victory. So we start point number one, King Jesus. It is good news that Jesus is the king. In fact, I think the shortest summary of the gospel I can find in the New Testament is uh, Romans chapter 10, where, where Paul says that to confess the gospel is to confess that Jesus is Lord. Just three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the king. There's the heart of the gospel right there. But uh, it's, it's a bit of a hard sell in Australia because not all of us love kings. Anyone watch the coronation last week? Oh, King's very popular in here. But there's a Guardian poll that was recently taken that while 71% of Australians liked, uh, liked Queen Elizabeth II, only 44% of Australians like King Charles III. 
Uh, perhaps that's changed since the coronation. I don't know. It might have even got lower because uh, a lot of people were unhappy with all of the ostentation and pageantry and all of the expense of the coronation. Maybe it's not a great time to be talking about how good kings are. But Jesus is a much better king than our earthly king. He is God's long-promised, heavily-anticipated Christ. That's the title Paul gives to him in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, that Christ died for our sins. Paul calls him Christ. Christ is not his, surna- is not his surname, it's a title. Jesus' parents aren't Mr. and Mrs. Christ. Christ is his title. And it means someone who has been anointed as king. Charles was anointed as king. Someone poured oil on him. And uh, when, you, uh, when you anoint someone, you pour oil on them. And it's a widespread practice throughout history. And it seems to mark God's presence with that person or God's favour upon that person. Or it marks them out as holy in, in some way. But whatever the case, God's people had long hoped for this, this anointed one. A bit like kids hope desperately for Christmas or you hope desperately for rain or for the rain to stop sometimes. You, you, I think you know that ache of having to wait for something good. God's people felt it. They're living in their land, but they are under foreign rule. There are bigger and stronger armies surrounding them to keep them in check. They're they're not politically autonomous in any way. And they are hoping desperately for their own king to lead them to victory and to freedom. Uh, No one, I think, is desperately hoping for King Charles III to appear and lead us to victory. So it's a bit hard for us to get, but uh, here's a... Uh, here's a text from the first century, from before Jesus. It's not in your Bibles. It's called the Psalms of Solomon. And hear the tone of, of longing and of hope. Um, the author says, he's describing their enemies. He says, from their ruler and the lowest of the people, they were in every sin. Their king, uh, our king was in transgression of the law and the judge in disobedience and the people in sin. But he hopes for a king. He says, See, O Lord, and raise up for them their king, the son of David, at the time which you choose, O God, to rule over Israel, your servant, and gird him with strength to shatter in pieces unrighteous rulers, to purify Jerusalem from nations that trample her down in destruction. And he shall gather a holy people whom he shall lead in righteousness. He shall judge peoples and nations in the wisdom of his righteousness. This is what they're hoping for. This is their their desperate hope, a king to save them and a king to lead them in victory. And the gospel is the announcement that this king has come and he is Jesus, King Jesus. It is good news that Jesus is king. This is what they were hoping for. But the gospel is not just about who Jesus is. It is about what he has done. And this is our second point. King Jesus brings people into his kingdom. He brings people into his kingdom. It's good news that Jesus is king. It's, I think, really good news 
that uh, you and I can be a part of his kingdom. Because his kingdom is a great place to live. The language of God's kingdom throughout the scriptures is it's really positive. The kingdom is a place of peace, of abundance, of flourishing, where suffering has ended. It's a great place to live. And the good news of the gospel is that King Jesus brings people into his kingdom. Now, as the scriptures paint the picture, the big problem that we face is that you and I, humans, we would prefer to be wearing the crown ourselves. Uh, we, we, we love to be in charge. I'm sure you've said from, from a young age, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> Who hasn't said that to their siblings or their parents? Uh, well, it's risky saying that to your parents when you're little, isn't it? Because when you're little, they, can't, they can tell you what to do. Have you ever tried saying that to a police officer? <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. Well, actually, they pretty much can. And disobeying a police officer, giving you a lawful direction, will get you in big trouble. Imagine saying that to King Charles III. You can't tell me what to do. And... Uh, well, actually, we live in a constitutional monarchy and he really can't actually tell us what to do. He doesn't have the legislative power. But do you see my point that if you live in a country but you decide you don't want to obey the rules of that country, well, then it makes it hard to live in that country, doesn't it? Your actions will have consequences. It's impossible to live in God's good kingdom when we don't acknowledge the authority of the king. When you disobey God's laws, there are consequences. And the Bible calls this sin. And you and I, we sin all the time. And there are sins that we think, they're just misdemeanors, and maybe I'll get a small fine. And there are some sins that we think are pretty bad, and I'll have to do something quite good to make up for it. And then there are some sins that we think are unforgivable, and we hope the person who did it burns in hell forever. But the Bible prescribes one penalty for sin, and it is exile from the kingdom of life. And where there is no life, there is only death. But the good news is that Jesus makes a way into the kingdom of life through his own death. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 the good news that Paul reminds us of is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ died and he died for our sins. Do you see there's an exchange that has happened here, the penalty of death that is keeping us out of God's kingdom of life is paid by that king. And he's definitely dead because verse 4 uh, that he was buried. He was buried. And now a dead king is no use to anyone. Uh, well, we have King Charles III because King Charles I and the Second are both six feet under. So the good news is, verse 4, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The resurrection has to be central somehow to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. And uh, Paul makes this point over the page in verse 17. In 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 15, verse 17, he says, 
If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And what Paul means, I think, is that the resurrection proves that you are no longer bound in the chains of your sin awaiting your punishment. No, in fact, by rising from the dead, Jesus shows you that your penalty is completely paid. Your sentence is finished and you may walk free out of death and into the kingdom of life. Do you get it? Your sins are resolved. They're not just ignored. That would be unjust. You'd always wonder if they're going to come back to haunt you somehow. No, your sins, past, present and future, are resolved. And you are reconciled to the king. The resurrection is very central to the gospel. But uh, we are modern people, aren't we? Don't we find it hard to believe that someone could be raised from the dead? Well, uh, so did the ancients. No one expects someone to come back from the dead, which is why the Apostle Paul gives this list of eyewitnesses to the resurrection from verse 5. He says uh, that Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Verse 6, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Jesus really died, and Jesus really rose from the dead. He really did. And by doing so, he's opened the way for us into his kingdom. Jesus is a unique kind of king, isn't he? Part of why King Charles seems to be popular with a minority of Australians is because people think he is old-fashioned and out of touch and he doesn't really actually do anything for me. But Jesus is not out of touch because he does know what it's like to suffer and he suffered as one of us. And Jesus sacrifices himself for the good of his people. This is a good king, King Jesus. And I think that if we're going to talk about Jesus and speak the gospel to our friends and our family, we'll be talking about how good Jesus is, won't we? We'll be able to say why Jesus is good and why he is worth following. And we'll also be able to say that Jesus is not just good, but he is powerful to do good as well. And this is point three. King Jesus brings people into his kingdom. Point three, where he reigns in victory. Jesus is a good king, but he's also a a triumphant, victorious king. There are heaps of stories about kings in the Old Testament, aren't there? The story that has always stuck with me is the story of King Saul's demise. Is this a king worth following? I'll read you this Short story of King Saul's demise. Is this a king worth following? Now, the Philistines fought against Israel, and Israel's men fled from them and were killed on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines pursued Saul and his sons and killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchushua. When the battle intensified against Saul, the archers found him and severely wounded him. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through with it, or these uncircumcised men will come and run me through and torture me. 
But his armour-bearer would not do it, because he was terrified. Then Saul took his sword and fell on it. When his armour-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his own sword and died with him. So on that day Saul died together with his three sons, his armour-bearer, and all his men. This is a king defeated, without power or strength, and terrified of his enemies. But King Jesus is victorious, powerful and strong and supremely confident in the face of his enemies. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes the resurrected Jesus as reigning in power. Over in verse 25, Paul says, For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And who is the greatest enemy? The enemy that claimed King Saul before even the Philistines get to him? Verse 26, the last enemy to be defeated, to be destroyed, is death. This is amazing. Even death has no power in God's kingdom. So verse 27, for he has, for the Father has put everything under his feet. Everything is under the feet of Jesus. King Jesus uses death as his footstool. And later in the chapter, Paul will say this in verse 54. He will say, uh, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And verse 57 but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that we proclaim, that the Lord Jesus reigns in victory over all his enemies, even death. Imagine not having to fear danger. Imagine not having to fear illness. Imagine being able to rest in the safety of King Jesus, who died for you and was raised. Don't you want this? Don't you want to be a part of this kingdom? Is this the kingdom that you are living in? Come and live with us in this kingdom, friends. This is the good news that we proclaim together. We know this gospel. Let's make sure we live it and share it loudly and clearly and constantly so that King Jesus may welcome more and more people into his kingdom. Let's pray and ask God to do just that. Our loving Father, thank you for the good news of King Jesus who brings people into his kingdom where he reigns in victory. Father, we ask that you would help us know this gospel, live this gospel, and speak this gospel clearly for your great glory and honour. Amen.